Welcome to Faith of Our Fathers. Today, we feature Dr. Howard G. Hendricks. In a tribute to Dr. Hendricks, Chuck Swindoll writes, No man has meant more to me in my adult life than Dr. Howard G. Hendricks, whom all of us know simply as Prof. His mark on me as a teacher has been etched permanently in my life and my ministry. Since I was his student, I have not prepared a message from God's Word without remembering and applying the techniques Prof taught me. Today, Howard Hendricks focuses on Psalm 127 and the building of a family. Thank you, Pastor, and good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Let me assure you it is for me a very choice opportunity you have accorded me of ministering the Word of God here at Fourth Presbyterian Church. We thank God upon every remembrance of this strategic witness and your continued penetration into the community with the gospel of the grace of God. I would pray for you that God would deliver you from merely talking about what Christ used to do here and that he will lead you increasingly more to talk about what he is doing and about what you are trusting him to do in the future. May I invite you to turn in our Father's word to Israel's ancient hymnal the 127th Psalms, the focus of our study this morning. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. And all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty together again. What a perceptive parable of our generation. We are living in a society in which everything nailed down is coming loose, in which the things that people said could not happen are happening. And thoughtful, though unregenerate men are asking, where is the glue? with which to reassemble the disintegrating and disarrayed parts. Eugene O'Neill makes one of his characters say it so graphically, you cannot build a marble temple out of a mixture of mud and manure. But we continue to try. Man is forever committed to the proposition that he has the answers to his problems. He's forever building sand castles only to find those invading waves of reality, dissolving them before his very eyes. Seems to me it's long overdue that we return to the biblical specifications for marriage and family life found in the Word of God, revealed by the one who created both, 
and who certainly knows how they function. The 127th Psalm is divided into two major segments which are closely related. The first two verses provide the foundation for the godly home. Verses 3 through 5, the fruit of the believing home. The foundation demands a philosophy. The fruit demands a perspective. Let's examine these verses more in detail. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh, but in vain. Will you note the psalmist uses two graphic analogies. The building of a structure, the guarding of a city, they both have one thing in common. Without the Lord, they are devoid of purpose. They are devoid of protection. Now please note, these verses are not a prohibition against work. They are a prohibition against worry. The psalmist is not saying you don't build your house. You do. But all oh, the idiocy of thinking you can build it alone. The truth is in the same vein of those words that fell from the lips of our Savior. Man shall not live by bread alone. Man lives by bread because God created him to live that way. But how moronic to think that there is only one dimension to life, the physical, the horizontal, the material, the temporal. The psalmist wants you to know that there is also a vertical, there is a spiritual, there is an eternal dimension, and time will never take on meaning apart from eternity. There is no possibility of building a home as God designed it apart from the spiritual component. Have you learned that yet? I have been counseling for a number of years with an extremely well-to-do man in our community. He has the dubious distinction of having wiped out four children. Two of them in drugs, one in prostitution, and the fourth one he's looking for in every major state in the Union and in 12 foreign countries and has been for the last three years. Sat across my desk one day and he said, Hendricks, I put my money on a dead horse. You know, my friends, if I were to tell him, look, I can guarantee to get your four children back if you'll do one thing. He'd say, what is it? 
I say, my friend, if you'll cut off your right arm, I'll guarantee to get your four children. You know what he would say? Give me the knife. You see, he's embraced that philosophy. Now, but unfortunately, it's late in the game. And our society is filled with people who spend all of their time, all of their money, all of their energy making a living, but not making a light. He underscores this truth in verse 2, he says, it's vain for you. Notice the repetition three times over in these opening stanzas. It's an exercise in futility for you to rise up early, to take rest late. It's almost as if this verse were written for an American audience. Because in characteristic American fashion, somebody says, well, we're not pulling it off. Well, let's intensify our efforts. Let's get up a little earlier. Let's stay up a little later. Let's work a little harder. We'll make it. The psalmist says, no way. God has no plan B for your family. Shortly after I became a Christian, Someone wrote in the flyleaf of my Bible these words, When I try, I fail. When I trust, he succeeds. There's a world of theology wrapped up in that couplet. You see, my friends, the flesh only knows one thing, and that's failure. And God has no self-improvement program for your flesh. The Spirit only knows one thing, and that's success. And to the extent that you and I take each and every step by means of the Spirit, then and only then can we live the Christian life. The Christian life is not difficult, it's impossible. It's a supernatural life. And it is not until you experience supernatural invasion that you can ever pull off this task of parenting. In fact, I am convinced that's why God will allow you to fail. Not simply to hit the bottom, but to break clean through. So that you have no way to look but up. And in the anguish of that moment, you cry out, Oh God, unless you do something, nothing will be done. He loves to hear that. <laughs> because then when he works, you will never be able to say, I was a competent parent. All you'll be able to say is, to God be the glory. Great things he hath done. He says, if you don't take this route, if you try to pull this task off with only human resources, you will only live to eat the bread of sorrow. Reason? For he, and he alone, gives unto his beloved sleep. Any frustrated parents here today? That may be the beginning of a new discovery in your Christian experience. I find an awful lot of Christian parents who are dreadfully uptight 
who are biting their nails, who are staying up at night, worrying, and sometimes taking excessive tranquilizers to try to block it all out. The psalmist says, here's a spiritual sedative. When you recognize that your need is not partial but total, then you will stretch yourself out on the infinite God and trust him to do what you cannot do and what he never intended you to do. But he calls you to trust him to do. Now I want you to look at verses 3 through 5. Because in these verses, you have three epithets used by the psalmist to describe the fruit of a godly home. Do you have a pencil or a pen? May I invite you to underline these. Lo, children are a heritage. Underline that. A heritage of the Lord. Children are given to you in trust. A child is formed in the mother's womb by God himself. But at the moment of birth, God makes a love transfer. He gives you a title deed. He gives you a responsibility. This word means property, possession. You see, your children belong to God. They're his property, not yours. Get your hands off of them. But think of it. I've never recovered from this fact. He trusted me with the tax. Brown Driver and Briggs, leading lexicographers, say this word must be translated assignment. And as an educator, I love that term. <laughs> See, my friends, you think God gives you children because of what you can do for them. I got news for you. That's only half of the experience. God gives you children because of what they can do for you. You wouldn't be worth a dime without the particular children that God gave you. So stop asking, Lord, why did you give me this one? <laughs> I'll tell you why. To make you a dependent and significant person. And then he says, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. Underline that. Asset, not liability, not tragedy, not accident, not tax deduction. Why does the psalmist underscore this? I'll tell you why. Because the greatest thing you contribute to your children is the building of their self-image. And how you view your children will very largely determine how they view themselves as well as other people. Have you ever seen your children as a sign of God's favor on your life? I'd like to give you an assignment. And that's to send you home. Sometime during the course of this day, perhaps after you've put your children to sleep, or after they've gone to bed, why don't you kneel down by their bed or outside their door or if they've already gone from your home 
by your own bed and thank God for the sign of his favor upon your life? Oh, but I think I hear some person back here on the 22nd row saying, but, you know, we don't have any children and we are incapable of having them. Is that an indication that the favor of God is not upon our life? My friend, nothing could be further from the truth. You see, we are related to an infinitely creative God, and he has unlimited ways in which he favors his children. One of them is by giving you children of your own. But there are some of us who, if we were dependent upon our parents for spiritual guidance, would have been eternally lost. And I thank God for three couples in the city of Philadelphia, none of whom had a child, who took all of their drive and all of their gift and poured them into a number of us. It's altogether possible that I'm talking to some couple here of whom this is true. You don't have children and may never have them. Did it ever occur to you that maybe God wants to favor you by delivering you from yourself so that you are free to flow into the life of other children whose parents couldn't care less about their spiritual welfare? What a ministry. What a sign of God's favor upon your life. But I want you to look at verse 4, for there is a third descriptive term, as arrows, there it is, underline it, as arrows in the hand of a mighty man, so are the children of youth. Now that intrigues me, that God should use that figure. Have you ever done any archery? Don't. I can still remember one of my girls teaching archery at a camp and my wife and I went up to visit her and she said, Daddy, you got to try archery. Boy, what a bad news experience that was. You wouldn't believe where the first arrow went. In fact, you wouldn't believe where the 27th arrow went. And I never came close to the target. This is a very significant choice of analogy because archery demands dexterity. It demands time. It demands practice. It demands that you know where you're going. Saw an interesting definition of a fanatic some time ago. It said a fanatic is a man who redoubles his efforts after he has lost sight of his goals. <laughs> And I've seen a lot of parents who, in effect, take their arrows and look in this way and let it go. Whoop, missed. It was Aristotle who said, like archers, we shall stand a far greater chance of hitting the target if we can see it. That's profound. That's what made him Aristotle. You ever delineated the lines of your target as a parent? If I ask you right now to write down on a card, what are the three most important things you are trying to inculcate 
in your child's life. Could you write them down? See, my friends, if you aim at nothing, you're going to hit it every time. This calls for a person who knows where he's going and who's committed to clear-cut objectives. But look at verse 5. Here's the end of the matter. Happy, fulfilled, blessed. In fact, in the Hebrew text, this is in the plural. All kinds of happiness, of blessedness, of fulfillment is to be found in the man who has his quiver full of them. Happiness is a full quiver. I'm asked over and over again, what's a full quiver? Well, my friends, I am convinced that God has different size quivers for different individuals. I'm also convinced he has a tremendous ability to expand your quiver, particularly when you think it is long full. And Omega has arrived. <laughs> but unfortunately, you are compelled to live in a society that is brainwashing many a young person with a two and no more philosophy. And I say if God calls you to have two children and no more, that's what you should have. Just make sure it is God who is determining the size of your quiver, not an unregenerate society. See, when Paul said, don't allow the world to squeeze you into its mold, he had a tremendously incisive word for our generation. That's an option to you now, conceivably. But in 10, 15, 20 years, it will be no longer an option. And you will have plenty of time to repent in your luxury, in your comfort, in your self-centeredness. You look at the last part of this verse. This is the goal. This is the outcome. They shall not be put to shame when they speak with their enemies in the gate. What's he talking about? He's saying the ultimate test of your task as a parent is whether you can prepare your children to function in the realities of your society. See, I don't need to remind you that in Near Eastern culture, the gates were the places where the courts met, where the business was transacted. He's talking about the marketplace. He's talking about out where the action is. And I find an awful lot of parents who are dreadfully uptight about discharging their children into this kind of a society. My friend, if Jesus Christ is not adequate for this kind of a society. He has nothing to offer. And the test of a parenting task, and in our culture you have approximately 18 years in which to pull it off, is to prepare those children to leave you. To prepare them to go out on that college and university campus, out in that military assignment, out in that job, that factory, wherever God may call them, and there, never be put to shame 
because of what the Spirit of God has built into their life. And think of it. He used you. Will you turn back in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 3? When I was a boy in Sunday school, I always loved the story of Samuel and Eli. Must have been a favorite. They told it so many times. And I never regretted their choice. This dear boy, an answer to a woman's prayer, unlike many people who make vows and never follow through, she did. She made a deposit of that boy in the temple area to be trained, to be used of God. One night he was awakened with a voice. He ran into the presence of Eli, the high priest, and said, Did you call me? He said, No, I didn't call you. Go back to sleep. So he runs back to his chambers and goes to sleep, and he's awakened again. This happens three times until finally the spiritual dullard gets the message. And he says, Look, if you hear that voice again, you respond by saying, Speak, Lord. For thy servant hear it. And that's where the story ended. And he used to bug me as a kid. I wonder what he said. <laughs> well, I'm going to share with you what he said, and you'll find out why it wasn't in the original story. 1 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 12. God is speaking, and he says, In that day I will perform against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house. From the beginning even unto the end. For I have told him that I will judge his house for an forever. Why? For the iniquity which he knew. Notice it's not a problem of ignorance. It's a problem of indifference. Because his sons did bring a curse upon themselves and he restrained them not. God scores this man not for the actions of his children, but for the apathy of his own heart. Not for what they did, but for what he failed to do. Now, my friends, Eli was a dedicated priest, but he was a defective parent. You know what that tells me? That tells me that it is possible to be professionally successful and be parentally a failure. Eli was not a bad man. He was an overly busy man in the service of the Lord that's possible. My friends, if you are too busy for your family, you are busier than God intended you to be. And no amount of business or professional or homemaking success will in any way compensate for parental failure. And conversely, no amount of business, professional, or homemaking success will even begin to compare with the satisfaction and fulfillment of parenthood built upon a trust in God. God has very graciously given me some degree of professional success 
but I just want you to know for the record that you are looking at a fulfilled man. Not because of my professional and public ministry, but because of my children, who long after I'm pushing daisies, are going to be sustaining an impact for Jesus Christ. I think for the first time I'm beginning to understand what John meant when he said, I have no greater joy than that my children walk in the truth. My friends, God did not call you to the task of parenthood to frustrate you. He called you to the task to give you indescribable fulfillment. And he will. If you are committed to the philosophy that unless the Lord pulls it off, I'll never make it. And he's got more to lose than you do. Unless you are committed to the fact that those children that God has given you, one, two, three, four, five, what have you, are your assignment. They're God's property and he gave them to you. They're a sign of his favor upon your life. And think of it, you will never recover from the fact. Because I'm sure he could have used far more efficient means than us. He handpicked me. You. To be the instrument to launch those arrows toward a God-glorifying goal. Why don't you ask him to give you that? Our Father, how wonderful is your word. It's the lamp to the feet. It's the light to the path. It's forever settled in heaven. Although heaven and earth shall pass away, your word shall never. And we thank you that in that word you do not lie. What you promise, you are able to perform. We want to trust you to do that today as we respond by faith. For we ask it through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. You've been listening to Howard Hendricks. Listen to Faith of Our Fathers each Sunday to hear more great 20th century preachers.